Good morning. We're so glad you guys are joining us this morning. Um, as we begin our time worshiping, we want to start with some words from his word to us. So this is Zephaniah chapter 3. Receive this truth this morning. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And he is good to us this morning. So let's come, let's sing to him. He went 
such good news for us this morning that our sins are truly pardoned because of Jesus so we want to take just a minute and confess before him remembering that we are people who have sinned who've turned from God and after we confess we want to remember the gospel which is the good news of what Jesus did for us so let's confess we're going to start by saying some things together. So it'll be on the screen, confess with me. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions. And we confess we have done what is evil in your sight. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But in repentance, we come to you and we cry out together. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquities and cleanse us from our sins. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Yes, God, do that. And friends, I want all of us to hear the great news of the gospel this morning. If you put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can be assured that you have been washed whiter than snow. Your sins are remembered no more. He has removed your dead heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh alive to follow him. He has put a new spirit in you and has promised never to cast you out of his presence. He offers you unshakable joy from now into eternity so that even in suffering you can rejoice. So with longing for his returning, let us earnestly pray this together. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Amen. Let's remember he's our rock of ages. Rock of ages is cleft for me. Oh, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water in the blood from thy Which flow be of sin, the, the double cure. 
one more time realizing it's true it's just him we didn't earn this it's something that Jesus did for us so with thankful hearts sing it one more time He do with it. You resurrect 
Good morning. Uh, we're going to take a moment now as a church to, to pray for our community and to pray for each other. And so this morning, we're specifically going to pray for those, for those of us locally and in many places around the world uh, who are turning to God at this time and maybe even uh, visiting churches um, here and around the nation uh, for the first time ever. And so what that looks like specifically, first we're going to pray that that they would see Jesus clearly. Then we're going to pray that they would give their lives to him. And third, we're going to pray that God would form them as a crucial part of their local church. And so first of all, if this is you, thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, it's our desire and our hope to make you feel, to feel welcome and at home with our family here at Sacred Mission. Uh, so we encourage you to, to stick around and ask questions. Um, and it would bring us great joy to introduce you to our friend Jesus. And so let's pray. So Jesus, we're grateful that you are leading and building our church. Uh, Jesus, we're grateful that you see each one of us, you care about each one of us. Um, this morning, God, we pray specifically for people in our towns um, and people across the world that are, that are turning to you, maybe for the first time ever. Um, they're actually thinking about what it might be like that there is a God that, that loves us. Um, and they might even be going to church for the first time. Lord, we pray for these people. Um, we know that you're our rock. You're the ancient of days. You're never changing. And so we pray that they and all of us, Lord, can see Jesus clearly. Um, we pray that they give their lives to you so that they can find true life and find it abundantly. And we also pray that they will be formed as a crucial part of their local church, wherever that might be. And so, Jesus, we ask for the grace to be hospitable and welcoming as a church, um, that we would invite our friends, our family, our neighbors, and that they can feel like they belong here. And so, Jesus, in all of this, we look to you, knowing that you love us and that you want the absolute best for us. And so, Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, well, good morning. It really is good to worship with you guys and um, remember our God together. Um, one thing that we want to do right now is we want to just welcome each other in the chat. Um, Jesus came towards us when we were far away, even when we were his enemies. And so this morning, it might be different than going across the room to each other. But we want to just welcome each other. Just say hello where you're, where you're at with your, pe with your people. Um, and then just greet each other and say good morning when someone introduces himself on there. Yeah, so go ahead and do that. And Maddie will be up in a second to give our announcements. Yeah, good morning, guys. You can go ahead and continue to comment and chat uh, right now, share where you guys are at. I always love getting to see um, everyone who's participating and um, how we're spread out all across Iowa and the states as well. So 
Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Madison, and it is really just so good to be together, even if it's digitally. What we've been doing is we've been worshiping the Lord through the songs just of our hearts, and we're now going to continue to worship Him. We're not going to stop doing that, um, but the way that we're going to choose to worship Him now is through giving. Um, if you are a guest, if you're new here, if this is your first time uh, joining one of our Sacred Mission uh, online services, we want to welcome you especially, but then also make sure you know that there is no pressure to give at all. We are just really, really excited to have you here. But if you are a Christian and you are committed to Sacred Mission, um, we are called to give generously and sacrificially by our Lord. Um, I love the example in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Uh, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as well as beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. We are seeing right now ways in our community that as a church we can really step into in order to care about people physically and spiritually. Let's keep seeking to be like the Macedonian church. You can give online. You'll see links in our chat right now um, for giving online. But if you'd also like to give physically, we have um, an address that you can mail your checks into. They're at the bottom of our website, or we'll also be posting that in our comments section. Um, let's pray while we give this morning in worship. Heavenly Father, um, we are reminded today that you are the most generous um, person being that there is. Um, and we saw that this past week as we celebrated Easter, which is um, the time that you gave up your only son to purchase us, um, a sinful and rebellious people for yourself. Um, God, would that be what spurs us on to desiring to give what we have um, to give sacrificially, God, to give even when it's a little painful, um, in order to bless others, in order for your name to be made known and for people to love you more. So God, just help us because by nature we are uh, selfish. God, I know that at least in my heart that's true. We want to keep things. We want to hoard things, especially right now. So God, would you just allow us as your church to just reflect your generosity and to allow the world to marvel at it um, and be shown that there is a really generous God who loves them. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. We have just a few announcements for this week. Uh, like we said, um, we have some really tangible ways for us to be 
serving and being the hands and feet of Jesus right now. Um, just this week, we've had conversations with both the mayor of Collins and the principal of the elementary school, inviting us into several needs in our communities and ways we can step in to serve, which is really exciting. Uh, we want to draw your attention to the Have a Need, Meet a Need section of our website. Um, if you have a need or if you really would like to help fill a need, please follow the link we will be posting that in the chat section. This next announcement I am also very excited about. It is our VBS that is coming up this summer, which is crazy to think about. Uh, we don't exactly know when VBS will be taking place. We're waiting to see just how things settle down in the world. But what we would like to do right now is to invite you guys to jump in and serve. This is such a missional opportunity. And I think coming out of the COVID-19 and being stuck in houses, I think we're going to have a really huge turnout like we've never seen before of kids and families that maybe never would have stepped foot in a church before, but because of all this time being stuck in one place, they're going to just be excited to be anywhere new. Um, so if you are interested in serving, there are so many different ways that that can uh, come about. Please email me. Uh, we'll be putting my email in the chat. It's madison at sacredmission.church. Um, and I'd love to get back to you and help you see where you can serve. Um, our last announcement is also about kids. Uh, if you are a kid and you are watching, we have special sermon notes for you guys. We're excited for everyone to get to hear the preaching of the word. And this is just a way uh, for you guys to engage. We have fun things to do in there to help you listen and learn right alongside everyone else. So if you would like one of those, we'll be posting a link in the comment section and your parents can and go and print those right now. Uh, this is all that we have for announcements today. So go ahead, grab your Bible and find the book of Daniel. And Tim is going to come up and preach today. Thank you so much, Madison. And it is good to, to be together again. And I'm really excited to start the book of Daniel together. We've uh, We've gone through uh, one major book of the Bible together as a church uh, since we launched last fall. We, we spent 18 weeks going through the book of Ephesians, and uh, we're going to spend probably about 10 weeks or so going through the book of Daniel. We'll, we'll see how that goes, uh, and uh, I'm excited to do it. Um, one of the things about going into the Old Testament, though, is knowing the story of the Old Testament, I think, helps tremendously to know like where where this fits. Um, you know, wh where is this in in the history of the Old Testament? And uh, and so I thought it'd be really good for us to just start our time uh, in the Old Testament by doing a high level view of the Old Testament. And I want to let you know on the front end, I'm leaving out a lifetime of details. <laughs> like, I'm leaving out so many details that will take a lifetime for us, I think, to appreciate and, and see the heart of our God through so many areas of the Old Testament. But this is hopefully going to give us just a snapshot of this whole story of God redeeming us, God redeeming his people. The Old Testament starts at the beginning with creation. It starts at the beginning with the beginning, with creation. All of creation is covered in just the first few chapters of Genesis. The pinnacle of creation seems to be the creation of people, interestingly enough. Um, all of the creation of everything that the Hubble Space Telescope can see, all the stars, galaxies, all that stuff, gets one verse 
in the book of Genesis, and then everything else um, after Genesis chapter 3 and so forth is about his relationship with us. And even in the book of Genesis, we start seeing God raising up a people for himself. These people are heirs of Abraham, and their relationship with God will be a light for other people to see. And eventually, through this will come the light of the world himself. Uh, So much of the Bible is God rescuing his people. Um, God takes the throne away and innocent Joseph from a prisoner in Egypt to be the prime minister of Egypt at the end of Genesis. God keeps the world, and I'm not going through all 39 books of the Bible at this detail, but what's amazing is some of the things that are set in motion in the book of Genesis play such a massive role in in the the spin of this book. Um, God keeps the world alive during a deep famine, giving Joseph the wisdom and moving Jacob and his whole family to get them in the place to survive life in Egypt. In Egypt, God's people grow from one family to actually being a couple million people um, at the end of Egypt and at the end of Genesis, and these couple million people become slaves in Egypt. Um, As God took Joseph from rags to riches, catch this, as, as God took Joseph from rags to riches to rescue his people, the next major person on the scene in the Old Testament is going to be Moses, and he does the opposite with Moses. He takes him from riches, uh, being in the lineage of Pharaoh, to rags. So he takes Joseph from, from rags to riches, he takes Moses from riches to rags as an unknown shepherd. And God calls him out of obscurity to lead these slaves in Egypt through the miracle of the Red Sea, giving them freedom as he parts the Red Sea and they walk across to the other side on dry ground to their freedom. Their sin, however, is close behind them and their sin keeps them wandering in the desert between Israel and Egypt uh, for a lifetime. That entire generation, including Moses, will die uh, out in the, in the desert, and uh, Joshua is raised up to lead them into the promised land, to re- lead them into Israel. Jacob had 12 sons, and these 12 sons now are 12 very populated tribes, and these 12 tribes settle into Israel throughout the entire land. Um, It's been about 500 years. So at this time, it's been 500 years since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it's now about 1400 BC when all this is happening. And many of the books of the Old Testament are are fitting into this time. Uh, For the first few hundred years, now that they're back in Israel, the people are ruled by judges. Samson is kind of one of the most well-known of those judges. And people start doing at this time what's right in their own eyes, and they start distancing themselves from God. And the people start desiring something that they should have never desired because they had everything that they ever could have imagined, but they start to desire a king. The countries around them have kings. You have a king. You have a king. We should have a king, right? So they start coveting having a king for themselves. God lets them know, I've been your king, 
but they're like, no, we, we, want, we want a king on the ground. So they look at the outside of a person and are like, well, you're the tallest, you're the strongest, you're the best looking. It looks like you'll be a great king. And they have Saul be the first king of Israel, and he is a utter disaster. And uh, all sorts of bad things happen. And so as man looks at the outside, God looks at the heart, and he sees this shepherd young boy named David, and he raises up David to be the second king of Israel. And this kicks off hundreds of years of kings in Israel. Um, Worship is at the center of Jerusalem, at the temple. Prophets, priests, and kings lead God's people. And uh, this is a massive part of the Old Testament is all that God does and the ways that he's pursuing his people at this time. Some of the kings are amazing. Incredible things happen, leading God's people to beautiful places of following him with their entire lives. And other kings are absolutely terrible. And uh, some of the most notorious that are leading God's people far away from God, Ahab and Jezebel, make at least the top five lists of some of the worst kings and queens uh, during this time. Um, A civil war breaks out with all this craziness that's happening, all the wickedness that's happening. A civil war breaks out, and in 930 BC, uh, it splits in half. So, so all of this, this nation that was supposed to be focused on being a light to the entire world uh, with a, a great relationship with God, they're warring inside, uh, and it, there's a major split, and now there's what's called the Northern Kingdom, which its uh, headquarters, its capital city is Shechem uh, in, in Northern Israel, uh, then the Southern Kingdom, the tribe of Judah is kind of the heartbeat of the Southern Kingdom, and the capital city is in Jerusalem. The prophecies and the promises from God have all said that the true never-ending king would one day come from Judah, from the tribe of Judah. He's known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So so this is a super fast view of the Old Testament, but what's happening at this time during the divided kingdom is that God is sending many people, many prophets, to try and wake everybody up. Uh, People had just been kind of sung to sleep by uh, just a lot of wickedness and a a lot of uh, appeals to the flesh that were happening by by nations around them, and uh, and that was happening, kind of created from the inside. And so God sent many prophets to wake the people up, he had every right just to walk away and just uh, just forget about it. And uh, at times, revival breaks out as these prophets are sent um, through the centuries. Uh, but overall, through the centuries, um, man, people are not walking with God the way that, that they are supposed to walk with God. And even some of the prophets that he sent, and we talked about this several weeks ago, some of the prophets that were sent were actually killed. Like, we don't want to hear what you have to tell us. And uh, God kind of gave them over to what they wanted. And in 722 B.C., the Assyrian Empire attacks the northern kingdom and destroys it wipes it off the planet. Um, Men like um, Isaiah are in Jerusalem watching this happening at the time. 
and uh, the Northern Kingdom no longer exists. Uh, you can go to the British Museum today, and there are rooms that are full of artifacts of this time period testifying to these things that are happening. The Southern Kingdom, uh, uh, so for about 100 years, the Northern Kingdom is destroyed, and the Southern Kingdom is just existing. Uh, then the Babylonian Empire comes up to be the most powerful empire of the day, and it turns its gaze to the southern kingdom, to Jerusalem. And in 605 BC, Babylon attacks Jerusalem. And uh, for 19 years, starting 605 BC, for 19 years, the Babylonians will kind of play with Israel like, like a cat would play with a mouse, uh, just kind of tormenting it and knowing I'm going to destroy you soon. But for 19 years, uh, there is this interaction. And then finally in 586 BC, uh, Babylon totally destroys Jerusalem, totally destroys the south. Uh, it will be quite some time before Nehemiah comes to rebuild the walls, which is where that portion of the Bible fits into, uh, then quite some time more before the Lion of the tribe of Judah comes to Bethlehem. Uh, the book of Daniel, so where is Daniel in all this? The book of Daniel starts at 605 BC with the Babylonians coming. Uh, life as they knew it was going to totally change. And uh, let's pick up the story here in Daniel 1. Let's open up our hearts. Uh, let's open up our minds. I hope that that overview of the Old Testament is kind of helping place. So every book of the Old Testament fits somewhere in that story of redemption. And this one is starting here. And uh, Lord, just everything that's happening in our lives, uh, would we just open it up to you, to what you have for us through this passage this morning? Verse 1 of Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, so he's king of the south because the north doesn't exist anymore, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Babylon has so destroyed Jerusalem that they've even carried away parts of the temple of God that were used in worship. And just to let you see kind of the realness of this, a research team from the University of North Carolina just last year was doing an archaeological dig on the grounds of the temple, and they had gotten down into the layer of the 6th century BC and, uh, and found a lot of interesting things. And one of the things that they found, they found a bunch of them, but they found a Babylonian spear tip. And so we actually have a, here's a picture of a Babylonian spear tip. So this was a, a, a spear tip that was actually during this time uh, used to overthrow uh, Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And, uh, and the research team from the University of North Carolina writes, the arrowheads are known as Scythian arrowheads and have been found at other archeological conflict sites from the seventh and sixth centuries BC. They are known at sites outside of Israel as well. They found these as Babylon destroyed a bunch of other places to the same arrowheads. Um, they were fairly commonplace in this period and are known to be used by the Babylonian warriors. 
years. Together, this evidence points to the historical conquest of Jerusalem by Babylon. So, so pretty interesting that even in 2019, a team from the University of North Carolina is discovering things that is directly connected to this moment that applies so much to Daniel and applies so much for us too. Uh, let's go back to verse 3 and uh, see, see how we come into this. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, another name for Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. The Babylonians here, uh, this might seem like a familiar thing, but the Babylonians here are experts. They're, they're becoming experts. They're really honing their craft at conquering people, turning their world upside down, and giving them a totally new identity, making them citizens of this new kingdom. Uh, they do a lot of evil things here in verses 3 through 7. Uh, they go to the tribe of Judah. They know that this is where leaders came from, the tribe of Judah. So they're, they're hand-kidnapping leaders from Judah, and they know this is where, where leaders come from and where the leader will come from. And uh, they kidnap at least four young boys to brainwash them and to change them and to give them a different identity. Uh, most likely, these boys were 13 or 14 years old. So, um, you know, just picture that uh, if you know 13-year-old, 14-year-old boys and uh, a king, uh, the most powerful empire in the world comes and takes them away. Um, and uh, we never hear about their parents. It's likely that their parents could have been killed during this battle. And according to Google Maps, um, the boys are taken by land 17, 714 miles east to Babylon, 714 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq. Uh, they immediately enroll them uh, to become Babylonians, in a school to become Babylonians, to learn the language, to learn the culture, to be mentored by even the king himself and the king's kind of entourage in the palace. Um, as they become Babylonians, what the idea is, is that these uh, these young, impressionable young boys will grow up and then they will lead Israel to love being Babylonian. They'll be like, hey, we kind of got here early in 605 BC. Other people wouldn't come till 586 BC. And we've been here for a while and it's awesome here. This kingdom is incredible. I love Babylon. You should love Babylon too. And in verse five, the king even gives them the amazing food that he's eating. 
They're wined and dined. Uh, then we see in verse 7 the hideous evil of renaming humans. This is a psychological tool, unfortunately used too often in history, uh, to seek to utterly change someone's entire identity by even taking their name away that they were given when they were born. All four of the boys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, each of their names said something about Yahweh. Each of their names said something about their God. Their new names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all said something about a relationship with Babylonian gods. So even their names were supposed to change any, any affiliation, affinity they had to anything that they had learned when they were growing up and now to learn a totally new way to think of themselves, even by the name that they share with other people about who they are. The world of these four boys has been fully disrupted. Everything about the life of these four boys has been utterly disrupted. Just months ago, life was so different. Just months ago, they were living in Jerusalem. Now, every effort with their lives disrupted is to get them thinking that their relationship with God was just a distant memory they might as well just accept their new identity as people following a new king, Nebuchadnezzar. After verse 7, if verse 7 is, is all that we had, and the rest of Daniel was destroyed, and we only had verses 1 through 7, we'd assume that these boys were just lost forever. I think we'd assume that the world was just too hard on them, that it just crushed them, and that the allure of the riches of Babylon had just utterly changed them. But thankfully, we have the rest of the book, and we have verse 8. And verse 8 is, um, man, I think however dark it feels in our country, however dark it feels, verse 8 should just be this like shot of a sunrise of light that just lights up everything with just amazing hues of color. Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief, the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. I love this. Daniel is far from home. We'd assume that he's far from God. With his world totally changing, Daniel, Daniel simple, simply is like, nah, I'm not going to eat any of that. And you might think, well, I have teenagers in my house, and maybe uh, they're just picky eaters. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe that it's a texture thing, and they don't want to actually eat food that the Babylonians love. Um, but he asked the chief of the eunuchs, the guy in charge, that he wouldn't defile himself. We know that this is utterly connected to his relationship with God. A scholar's debate, like why Daniel thought he might defile himself, uh, where most people land is that Daniel, Daniel simply didn't want to let the king of Babylon replace his allegiance to a greater king. Several times, uh, the food is referred to as the king's food, and Daniel wanted to receive his food from his king, no matter what was on the menu. And, uh, and it's just, it's amazing. And in the courts of Babylon, God is working. God is working in the courts of Babylon. In the palace of Babylon, God is going before Daniel is working, because look at verse 9, and God 
You might be like, oh, I thought God was nowhere to be found. You know, I thought he let Daniel go, and, and when something like that, God must not be around. It's like, no, God gave Daniel favor. God is working when we don't think he's working. He's being subversive at, at incredible times, and here he's being very subversive to people who think they're all-powerful in their palace, and God is giving Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord the King, he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age, so you would endanger my head with the King? Ashpenaz just tells Daniel that he could be killed for not doing exactly what the king orders. So if Ashpenaz chooses Daniel over his king, he could be killed. And I think this is a perfect time for Daniel to just back down, for Daniel to be like, oh, well, you know, I, I spoke up, and uh, I tried, and let's not get carried away here, though. Let's just uh, compromise, and uh, no one will die here. But instead, what I love is Daniel just remains a peaceful, faithful presence. He's okay to just stand there. He doesn't freak out. I think he's got his feet on the ground. And um, you can tell he just calmly suggests something in verse 11. Verse 11, Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel says, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Daniel is creative. Daniel is reasonable. And Ashpenaz actually agrees to this 10-day experiment of Daniel and his friends. God's favor is going ahead of their desire to follow him. Uh, their integrity is being rewarded by God. And who would have ever guessed that four teenage boys 700 miles from home with a country utterly decimated for not following God's ways are taking a stand in the palace of Babylon in following God's ways. Verse 15 is majestic. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. This isn't about following the right diet. <laughs> this passage is about following the right God, following the right king. Daniel shows boldness and persistence and ends up having all the other teenage boys from many other empires who were all conquered by Babylon and are all in the room together, all in this together, and they're now eating not the food from the king's table, but the food that's suggested by Daniel. Daniel and his friends are not hostile. They aren't fighting the Babylonians at every turn. Look at what God does in verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. They don't view all that has happened to them as a distraction. They don't embrace the role of a victim here. 
The goal of their life is not to get back to the way it used to be. Instead of seeing their current state as a distraction, they just embrace it as a disruption. It disrupts the way that life used to be, but they're finding a new way to walk with God for however long this disruption is going to last. They don't know. We don't know. God allowed them to learn the language of the Chaldeans, their history, their literature. God gave them incredible wisdom in knowing those things. I love that God is, is once again, just subversively just doing things we wouldn't expect in the unlikeliest of times. Verse 18, at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke, spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They, they, like their final exams and the king himself. Therefore, they stood before the king Verse 20, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in the kingdom. God allowed them to thrive in Babylon. Not only were they the top of their class, they were 10 times better than the professionals in the kingdom. These young men had an awareness that God's people will suffer hardship. They had an awareness that God's people will suffer hardship. They probably walked all 700 miles of that journey east, missing their families every step that was, that was away from them. While their faith and integrity resulting in bless, resulted in blessing and favor. So, so when they took a step, it really resulted in blessing and favor. But obedience doesn't always mean that things are going to end up that way. Obedience doesn't mean that it's always going to turn out great from an earthly perspective. They believe God can, can deliver them. We'll see later in this book, this book is full of amazing times when you are really confronted with, will God deliver me? What does this mean if he does or if he chooses not to? Maybe he won't, but he is worth following either way. He's worth following either way. This is not a chapter about dieting. It's a chapter about the courage to live out our biblical convictions when compromise would be so much easier, when just going with the stream would be so much easier. We're tempted to compromise because our hearts are rebellious. Our hearts need to behold a treasure that is so much greater than any other treasure that anybody can offer to us. Even with his world in total disruption, Daniel believed his God was better than anything Babylon could offer him. Chapter one ends by telling us, look at verse 21, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. We have archaeologically, like all of this is just like so well accounted for. So we know the exact years of all of this stuff. And what we know from this short sentence is that this disruption of Daniel's life in Babylon lasts for 70 years. Daniel will be in the palace of the kings of Babylon for 70 years. He never makes it back to the way things used to be. We'll see so much in this series of a man's simple walk with God powerfully making a difference. 
So we're on the side of history where the lion of the tribe of Judah has come. We celebrated him defeating death last week. Uh, he is the true king. In John 16, Jesus tells us this, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's what gave Daniel such, such of a, a, just a peace, a faith, a courage to stand with his eyes on his king at times when it, it just seemed like the cost was too high. And he said, no, his power is way too much for me to second guess uh, his love for me. And here Jesus says that, take heart, I've overcome the world. Would we have a devotion to him that is purified by the heat of test, testing and suffering? Our relationship with him is not something to pursue only when life is normal, when it's convenient, when it's politically correct, when it's socially acceptable, when we place our faith in him, when he becomes the Lord of our life, we are, we are not taken away from our homes, probably. That's probably not going to happen to us. But what will happen to us as we play it, put our faith in him is that we will find ourselves maybe for the first time truly to be at home with him. No matter if our world is like this for weeks, for months, for years, would we be able to have a presence about us as we go through this book of the Bible of peace and of faith, secure in his hands, letting him go before us, showing us how to live in this disruption. Daniel didn't do what he did, keeping God at arm's length. He did this totally sold out to him. Would each of us this morning surrender any distance that's keeping us from him, the one known as the Prince of Peace? Would we say, Jesus, I'm yours Write the story that you want in my life. You paid for my sin. You've rescued me. My life is in your hands. Take me wherever you want. Use me however you want. Amen? Amen. Can we pray together? Lord, I just ask that you would have your way in us. Um, if, if some who are part of this gathering, if you're inviting them to give their lives to you for the first time. Lord, we just say yes and amen to that. Uh, would they just see the treasures that you offer of freedom, of forgiveness of sin, of life, and would they just come running to you, put their faith in you, their full trust in you. Um, if you're wanting to redefine for each of us just this disruption and what this means for us, would each of us just draw nearer to you, Lord? Would we draw uh, nearer to trusting you? Would we say amen to however you're calling us? Would this life of Daniel and his friends as we walk through it, Lord, uh, instruct our lives? You are the same God as, you, as, as they had. You're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, I just ask that uh, each of us, that anything that is keeping you at arm's length, Lord, keeping us from just fully entering into this disruption, however it la long it lasts, and just shining brightly for you. Lord, uh, Lord, we just ask that, that you would draw us near to you, change us, use us for your glory. We pray these things. Amen.
It's been so good to be together. Once again, our chat area will stay open for 20 minutes. We'd love to continue interacting. Uh, feel free to keep reading in Daniel 2. If you want to read Daniel 1 several more times, we'll be discussing this in our community groups, and so we'll be putting a link there as well where we can go deeper into our lives, pray for each other as God's showing us how to live out this word together. So thank you so much for joining us, and uh, let's all stay connected.